You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God is involved in this whole thing that's going on here. David hasn't been forsaken by God. Listen, David wasn't perfect, right? He had his ups and downs. You know, he wavered back and forth. He had his own failures and faults. He had sins. Remember, particularly in his committing adultery with Bathsheba. But nevertheless, God had never forsaken David. There was a time when David even turned his back on God and had forsaken God. But nevertheless, God had never forsaken David. The conspiracy to overthrow the throne of King David gets more and more insidious as it develops. In fact, the twists and turns and sinister plots become so much that we're practically forced to recognize that David's demise was certain if it weren't for God. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on the sovereign hedge of protection that the Lord placed on David. In his study, you'll gain a powerful reminder of how faithful God is to his own, even when we're not faithful to him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 16 as he continues his message, The Greatness of God. back to our text and read verse 21 one more time and Ahithophel said to Absalom this is his counsel go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father then the hands of all who are with you will be strong you know I, I guess I should mention you know at one time Ahithophel was a very close friend of David's not only was he a close friend, but also a counselor to uh, David. So how, why in the world did Ahithophel uh, seek to turn upon David? And that's a, a legitimate question to ask. Why did he betray David at this moment in time? Well, I don't know if you knew this or not. Here's a little bit of trivia. But I want you to know that Ahithophel was actually Bathsheba's grandfather. I don't know if you knew that or not. And remember what had taken place, what had expired in one of our previous studies, we were told, as the men of Israel were going out during that time of the year in war, David was left in the palace, and on one uh, day, he was on the top of the palace wall, and in the distance, he saw this woman who was bathing naked on the top of her roof, whose name was Bathsheba. And so he sent for the woman, David had a sexual relationship uh, with her. She became pregnant. 
the problem with Bathsheba, she was married to a fellow whose name was Uriah, who was one of David's uh, men of war and who happened to be engaged in a, a conflict at, at present time. And uh, one thing led to another, and David, trying to cover his tracks and what he had done, he had taken another man's wife, he had committed adultery with her, wound up through a series of situations, put Uriah to death. And obviously, this enraged Ahithophel, who once again was Bathsheba's grandfather. And I think that was the very thing that turned Ahithophel against uh, David. So just in case you were wondering, you know, why at one time Ahithophel was a close friend of David's, a confidant, an advisor. In fact, we were told in one of the other portions of Scripture that often they would go to the tabernacle together to worship the Lord. And uh, so that was probably the reason why Ahithophel had turned against David. Well, anyway, so this is designed then to destroy any hope for reconciliation between father and son. The plan is diabolical. Incestuous relationships between a son and his father's wives was abhorred. It was against the teaching of the scriptures. For example, in both the book of Leviticus as well as the book of Deuteronomy, we were told that a man shall not take his father's wife or uncover his father's bed. And so anyway, Ahithophel's counsel is designed to humiliate David in the eyes of the people, but it must also be justifiable according to the law. Now Ahithophel knew of God's word that was given to David by the prophet Nathan. Because of David's sin, committing adultery with this woman Bathsheba, remember Nathan the prophet came back and David was busted, and then through the prophet Nathan, God pronounced judgment upon David. And what was that judgment? Well, let's quickly go back to chapter 12 and verse 11, and let's rehearse that portion of scripture uh, once again. It's recorded for us in chapter 12 and verse 11, so if you quickly turn there with me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And so that's exactly what's happened. It's sort of like a prophecy being fulfilled here. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the son, openly and publicly. So again, Ahithophel knew of God's word to David, given through the prophet Nathan, his intended punishment for his folly. Really then, what is going on here is seen as just fulfilling what had been declared by the Lord earlier. So that justified Ahithophel's counsel to Absalom. Therefore, Absalom would be exonerated from the charge of incest. He is just fulfilling God's will. So you see, this is a perfect plan as far as Ahithophel and Absalom is concerned. Well, the plan then is set in motion. Notice there in verse 22, let's go back to our text. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house in public so that everyone would be aware of what was going on. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. 
giving no thought to the feelings of these women. They're treated as things to be used to further his plans. And symbolically, Absalom is stating to the nation, my father can no longer protect that which is nearest to him. He's powerless to stop him. So do you see this plan unfolding here? And so the confidence of the men in Absalom's army is now strengthened. And they know now nothing can restore Absalom to his father's favor. What Absalom was about to do was inexcusable. Well, Ahithophel's counsel is quite remarkable. In one quick swoop, he accomplishes all goals. Ruthless efficiency. No wonder we are told in verse 23, let's go back to our text, now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. And that's just another way of saying the word of God. And remember, how did they inquire? How did they discern the word of God? Back then they would use the Urim and the uh, Thummim. So the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God, and so was the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So, ruthless efficiency. Now, Ahithophel knows the success of Absalom's rebellion depends on the strategy he adopts in the first few hours of his reign. He knows that Absalom must quickly move while he has the momentum. So let's go on now, chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. He further counsels Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak, and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him, all those who fled the city with him, will flee, and I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you, when all return except the man whom you seek, David, and all the people will be at peace. Okay, so Ahithophel's intention is to overtake David while he is weary and in a vulnerable position, suggesting there would be no difficulty seizing and killing the old king. And with his death, all opposition will collapse. The entire nation will submit to Absalom's rule. So that was his thinking. Now let's go on, verse 4. There we read, And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Now that goes to show you and gives us an idea of how far-reaching was the defection of David. Because notice also we are told that the elders of Israel were also on board with this plan. So all had just you know, forsaken David at this time. Now, all of a sudden, Absalom chooses to test Hushai's loyalty and he is sent for. Let's pick up now in verse 5. Now remember, Hushai is David's insider. It's, he's David's confidant. He is David's spy. Remember, he had been sent back to the city of Jerusalem to find out what was going on. 
with Absalom. So, in verse 5 we read, Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite, and let us hear what he says also. Now Hushai, when he is sent for, doesn't know what was being considered, but then he is told. Notice there in verse 6. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner, shall we do as he says, if not speak up. So he's rehearsing all of what Ahithophel had counseled Absalom to do. So, Hushai now has to think on his feet here. Ahithophel's plan is strong. It is feasible. He knows David will be caught on the open plain before he can cross the Jordan River, making him virtually defenseless. And so, Hushai must sway the thinking and emotions of those present to protect David. Let's pick up now in verses 7 through 13. So Hushai said to Absalom, after Absalom had told him the plan, what they were about to do, but he wanted the counsel of Hushai. You know, he, he wanted some validation to that uh, plan. So he sends for Hushai, who is also a wise counselor, uh, to David. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Now concerning these mighty men that followed David, who were loyal and faithful and continue to be loyal and faithful to David, who followed David out of the city of Jerusalem. Remember, these were truly mighty men, the mighty men of David. Now, this is not the first time that we were introduced to this group of, of men. Just to kind of give you an idea of how mighty that they uh, were, in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, in verse 8, we were told that just one of these mighty men on one occasion, going out to battle, himself alone killed 800 men. Now, this is no fable, folks. This is Bible truth. Could you imagine that? One man killed 800 men, 800 men on one occasion. So, uh, as I had mentioned previously in one of the studies when we were first introduced to these mighty uh, men of David, you know, this guy could have had his own marvel series or something on television or, you know, on comic book. And uh, truly, these guys were ferocious in uh, battle. And uh, they were enraged at what was going on. And notice they were likened to a bear, a mother bear, robbed of her cubs in the field. Now, I, I, we used to live in Alaska, and many of you uh, know that. There was a time when uh, my wife and I we purchased this lease of a cabin out in the wilderness. And the only way that you can get out there, we actually were planning on going moose hunting. Now, could you imagine a, a kid from Hoboken, New Jersey, in Alaska, you know, flying into this remote area on the Arctic Circle in Alaska to go moose hunting? I had never shot a gun before in my life. And uh, so off I go. We get onto this plane, myself, my wife, and uh, another couple from the church that we were attending at that time, actually a church that we were serving in as a, 
as a deacon to go moose hunting. And so I got this 30 yard 6 rifle. I got my side, you know, pistol, uh, a 440 Magnum. And, uh, and off we go into the wilds. We, we land on this lake, on, the, on this plane, a little Cessna on floats. We get out and, uh, and off we go. And as we're traveling along, there's no roads or anything. You, you know, you make your path through the woods and we would follow the, the path that was made by the lake and the perimeters around the lake looking for, you know, tracks for moose. We didn't find any moose, by the way. I, I still to this day, I never shot a moose or anything. And I'm, gl I'm actually glad that I'm able to say that. I wouldn't go moose hunting any longer. Just in case there are any animal lovers here, I just wanted to clarify that. But anyway, as we were traveling one of the paths, you know, looking for a moose that we never found, okay, we actually ran up against a mother bear with her cubs. And let me tell you something, here's a kid from Hoboken, New Jersey. I was totally freaked out. Now, we couldn't go forward because the mother bear was just, you know, running around in the bush, and we saw the cubs. The cubs actually treed and were up in the, on some of the branches of the trees, and the mother is grunting and making sounds and roaring, and, and we're freaking out. And I got my, you know, my gun is loaded, and I'm just waiting for the bear to run out of the bush to attack us. Our backs are up against the lake, and thank God that never happened. But you don't want to mess around with a mother bear who has cubs. I've gone a long way to make this point. But that's how ferocious these guys were and how upset they were with what was happening to their king, David. And so the reference to that. Well, anyway, in verse 9, surely by now he is hidden in some pit. So the idea here is you're not going to find David anyway if you send out a group of men to kill David or in some other place. Where is that other place? You're not going to be able to even find him. And it will be when some of them are overthrown by these mighty men. It doesn't matter how many you send out you know, to track David down and kill him. These mighty men are going to be able to overtake you. There's no way that you're going to come up against them with, according to, notice there, the 12,000 in verse 1 of chapter 17. They're no match for David and his mighty amen. So he's suggesting this. And it will be that when some of them are overthrown at the first, that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely for all Israel, knows that your father is a mighty man. And those who are with him are valiant men. In other words, you're not going to be able to overtake him. And when news gets back being devastated by these mighty men, it's going to come back and, and people are going to abandon your plan. And so, therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you. So you need to go out with more than uh, 12,000 from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. In other words, you lead the troops yourself, Absalom. So we will come upon him, David, in some place where he may be found, and we, notice Hushai includes himself in this plan, you know, just to make it more credible, this wasn't his intent at all. Remember, he's looking to sway Absalom from going out against David, because at this time, if he actually went out against David, he would find him and kill him. And we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men who are with him, 
there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into his city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there is none, not one small stone found there. So, this is Hushai's rebuttal. What was involved? This was his suggestion. If you go out against David now, most likely you're not going to find him. And if you did, you could count on a significant loss of life. And that may result in all of Israel, notice according to verse 9, hearing an exaggerated report about the number of deaths of your military. And as a result of the false rumor, your fighting men would lose heart. So instead, gather all the fighting men of Israel with Absalom, you riding at the head, find David, descend upon him in such numbers that he can't escape. But really what Hushai is seeking to do is counsel to delay. Do you see that? Why? Because he's wanting David to have some time to be able to escape, to recover, to fortify himself. The intention is to give David time to recover from his fatigue as well as gain the security of some well-fortified city. And so the pause will also give the people in league with Absalom some time to reflect upon what they have done. His hope was that this, resu- this revolt will, seem, uh, will be seen in its true perspective, that they will begin to have second thoughts, and Absalom will lose his momentum. Well... Hushai's counsel pleases the deluded prince. And notice in verse 14, let's go back to our text now. There we read, So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Do you see that there? So now Absalom's faith has been sealed. And Hushai has won over the war cabinet. But this is just God intervening on behalf of David. Because notice, let's go back to our text, notice the latter part of verse 14. You see, God is involved in this whole thing that's going on here. David hasn't been forsaken by God. Listen, David wasn't perfect, right? He had his ups and downs. You know, he wavered back and forth. He had his own failures and faults. He had sinned. Remember, particularly in his committing adultery with Bathsheba. But nevertheless, God had never forsaken David. There was a time when David even turned his back on God and had forsaken God. But nevertheless, God had never forsaken David. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online, just go to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. 
Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You get directions and service times at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram too. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today. And we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for-